0: We're going to be looking at page 65, session number 8, in just a bit. But let me remind you of our schedule coming up. One week from today, our services will be structured a bit differently because we'll be having what we call Ordinance Sunday. We'll observe the two ordinances that Christ gave to his church. Two weeks from today, uh, we will, in the 9.30 hour, pick up where we left off two months ago in our series in the book of Ephesians. So we covered the first three of the six chapters in that book, and that was a good spot for us to, to cut off. We've had some guest speakers. I've been out of town. We've had our pastors and training guys. We have ordinance Sunday next week, a couple of holidays. So all of that is added up to a couple of months in between. But the first three chapters are the doctrinal teaching portion of the book of Ephesians. And now we'll look at the last three chapters on what we're supposed to do now with the truth that uh, we've been taught. And that's what chapters 4, 5, and 6 are about. We'll start that two weeks from today during the 9.30 hour. And the 11 o'clock hour, this hour, in this room, on that day, two weeks from today, we'll start a series called uh, The Pursuit of Happiness. And we describe that for you in your program. But it's about really aligning our lives with the purpose for which God has made us and the particular purpose that he's given to his followers uh, until he takes us home or until Christ returns. And so in pursuit the pursuit of happiness, I encourage you all to come for that. Come to as many weeks of that as you can because uh, it is a series, as I suggested, that helps us put our lives in order and prioritize our time and our talent and our treasure around our, our calling. Today we conclude What's the World Coming To, page 65, session 8. We've been looking at future events then in this series, What's the World Coming To? But this last lesson asks the question up at the top of page 65, how shall we live? What do future events have to do with the present, with now? What does all of this stuff that we've looked at with regard to future events have to do with me and with you in particular? Well, in order to answer that question, you have to do that, what we have in that subtitle at the top of page 65, from beginning to end. In order for us to understand how this view of the future affects you individually and me individually in the here and now, in the present, means that we have to set what the Bible says about the future in the context of the Christian view of the world. The Christian view of the future is in the context of the Christian view of the world. Now the stuff I'm going to talk about over the next few minutes is not in those notes. Okay. In fact, many of the, several of the pages in this particular lesson are a review of the things that we've covered in the first seven sessions. We'll focus on the last three pages after I, after I finish with these opening introductory remarks, but just follow with me as best you can. The Christian view of the future is to be seen in the context of the Christian view of the world. That is, the particulars, the details, the events that go on now, they're to be connected to what has happened in the past and what is going to happen in the future now I say the Christian view of the world or another way to put that is a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview so in order for us to see the importance of what the Bible says in the future for what's going on now I have to see that in the totality of the perspective that the Bible gives us or what's often called a Christian worldview and a Christian view of The world, a Christian view of everything, a Christian biblical worldview, identifies foundational events that took place in the past that have effects now and in the future. And without these past, without these foundational events, the present and the future really don't make any sense. Think about opening the Bible and just going to the the end. You know, you got a war going on. Why is there a war going on? you got people coming back. Where are they coming back from? Why'd they leave in the first place? <laughs> you know, Christ is coming back. He's got his sword. He's setting up his, he's setting up his kingdom. You know, why didn't he he, he... he claims to be God, King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19, last look of your book of your Bible. Well, if he's King of kings and Lord of lords, was he dethroned for a while? You're reading this, this last book, and you're just wondering about all these, all these questions. You just go to the middle of it. And, and you have a man, a good man by all accounts, named Jesus, and he's being executed. Why is, he, why is he being executed? Why is that happening? Why at the end of this is there this war and this kingdom and all of that? And none of that makes any sense the execution of Jesus, the setting up of his, his kingdom, what's been happening in between, none of it makes any sense unless it is seen in light of what the Bible says about the past and these foundational events at the beginning of Scripture. And so a Christian worldview involves these past absolutely crucial foundational events. Now on page 65, notice the second paragraph. The story of the end of the world starts at the beginning. The book of Genesis, the first book in our Bible, tells us about, now notice this word, creation, that's important. It is essential and first in any Christian view of the world, a biblical worldview, is creation. It tells us about the creation of the world, and it describes a very different world from the one we live in today. And the crime and the disease and the death and the terrorism, the violence, natural disasters, rot and decay, on and on, they are not accidental. They're the natural results of, and then here's a second key word, in a biblical worldview. Foundational past events, creation and then sin, the entrance of sin into the created order. Or sometimes called the fall. These are all, all of these horrible things are the natural results of sin, of living life contrary to the way God has designed life to be lived. What happened? Sin happened. And because of sin, the world has taken a turn for the worse. And with sin came death. The Bible tells us that all men die because all of us are sinners. A Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, <clears throat> involves a number of key components, some of those foundational in the past, creation and, and the fall or the entrance of sin. And none of the rest of what the Bible has to say makes any sense unless it is seen in light of creation and the entrance of sin, the fall as we refer to it. And that's why Psalm 19, for instance, in your Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Because what has been made, the creation declares that there is this creator, by virtue of whom, by whom, we have the created world. And so everything that the Bible tells us in its biblical worldview is based upon this foundational truth of creation. Or Romans chapter 1 tells us that all people know by virtue of the created world, that there is a God who, who made it and therefore are accountable to seek this God and to submit to this God and to follow this God who made them and thus gives them their purpose. Now, because creation is so foundational to a Christian worldview, that's why it is so often attacked. You all get that? I mean, there is an adversary. That's why there is the second thing I'm going to talk about, sin, the fall. And there is, there is someone in God's otherwise good world who doesn't want to see people in line with what God originally made them to be. And so if creation is foundational to that, then he will attack creation. And if he can crack that foundation, then you, then you have destroyed the entire superstructure of a Christian view of the world. On March 6th of this year... We were privileged to have Terry Mortensen from Answers in Genesis here. Many of you were here when uh, he spoke, and he made that very point, and I think he made it very clearly and very eloquently as, as well. And so a Christian worldview involves foundationally, absolutely, indispensably, creation. But it also involves this other past event, and that is the entrance of sin or the fall. Now, if you deny that there is an original, the way it was supposed to be, then you won't have, if you deny that, then you won't have any idea what's wrong. You ever think of that? If you don't know what straight looks like, you never know what crooked is. If you don't know the way it was supposed to be, then you won't recognize that all the junk that's going on now is not the way it's supposed to be. And so once you deny creation and purpose and the straight line and the way things were designed to be, once you deny that, well, now there really is no such thing as sin. There really is no such thing as as moral evil for which people will be accountable, especially into eternity. Are you kidding me? And this is the way most people in our culture think because they've denied the creation foundation, they've denied the straight line, the original picture, they now don't recognize the distortion that is the picture of our world now. But indeed, it is a fuzzy, distorted, marred picture that we see and that we, that we live in. I'm going to recommend a, a book to you by uh, Cornelius... Plantinga. Plant, P-L-A-N-T-I-N-G-A. They call him Tony. No, they call him Neil. Cornelius, Neil. But uh, the the name of the book is this. Not the way it's supposed to be. And the subtitle is A Breviary of Sin. That's That's a summary of sin. The whole book is about what the Bible teaches about the fall and about sin. And it's, and it's a very, well, very well written, very, and I found it to be very helpful. Let me read to you some excerpts from that, from that book. He says, of course, things are not the way they are supposed to be at all. Human wrongdoing or the threat of it mars every adult's workday, every child's school day, Every vacationer's holiday, the news online, the news from our friends, and our own experience give us all the examples we need. A college man plays the field, and he leaves behind him a string of hookups. The women can't afterwards get him even to answer their texts. A fourth grader in a class of 25 distributes 15 party invitations in a way that lets the omitted classmates clearly see that they've been excluded. Her teacher notes but never ponders the social dynamics of this distribution scheme. A mother steps outside her marriage, wrecks it, and leaves her children to grieve over the end of their family's story. From 1989 to 2006, the British pianist Joyce Hato put out a dazzling set of recordings of some of the most beautiful and difficult music in classical literature. She had become a prodigy at the age of 60, Music critics marveled that she seemed to have, uh, have a different approach for each kind of music she recorded. But then he says, no wonder. All of her output during this period had been stolen from the CDs of other pianists and sold as her own. So he says there's something wrong. We see it, right? We see it around us. And only those with blinders could deny that there is something drastically wrong, dreadfully wrong with the world in which we live, and you see it at all age levels, in all circumstances, and it involves all people, including us. The Bible calls that thing that's wrong, sin. You know, I hear from people a lot of times, and they say, you know, I just don't want to go to one of those hell, fire, and damnation kind of churches. And... You know, I understand what's meant by that. There are people that are just angry all the time and they're just screaming all the time and you just feel horrible every time you leave. And I wouldn't go to a church like that either and I hope we're not that. But for some people what that means is you never say anything negative. And you certainly don't talk about sin. Sin's a big turnoff. And so Joel Osteen, you guys know who he is? Smiles a lot. It's happy, happy. And he says to Larry King, he says, I don't talk about sin. See, the, words, the word sin or sinful or sinners or sinfulness, I looked it up. It's used just over a thousand times in the Bible. And that's just those, those words, sin, sinners, sinfulness, sinning, sinned. It's not transgression, wrongdoing, trespass. There's all these other words, law-breaking, So here's the thing, if you omit that stuff, you can't preach the Bible, can you? And you can't have a biblical view of the world. You can't have a Christian view of the world. A Christian view of the world deals honestly with the way things are in our world. And it gives an explanation as to why they're that way. What is crooked was at one time straight. And we will see that God is endeavoring and God will make it completely straight again. But the crookedness is called sin. And Plantinga goes on to say, you know, lots of North Americans use the word sin only on dessert menus, you know, (laughs) sinfully delicious. If they hear the word used seriously, they might conclude they're in the presence of a Puritan. There are few contexts left in which the word is said and heard straight. But the writing prophets of the Bible were unafraid to diagnose sin as the oldest and deepest human problem. They talked about it all the time, often in context in which they protested injustice in the land. The prophets knew that sin has a thousand faces. They knew how many ways human life can go wrong because they knew how many ways human life can go right. As I said earlier, you need the straight line to know what crooked is. And these prophets kept dreaming of a time when God would put things right again. Now bear with me as as I go through this. It's very helpful to me. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would straighten out. The foolish made wise, the wise made humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would bloom, mountains would run with wine, people would stop weeping and be able to sleep without a weapon under their pillow. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. The lamb would lie down with a wolf because the wolf had lost its appetite. All nature would be fruitful and benign and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. All nature and all humans would look to God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from women in streets and from men at sea. And here's what what he says. The webbing together of God and humans and all creation Injustice, fulfillment, and delight. It's what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. You guys familiar with that Hebrew word? Shalom. We translate it peace. It's really a very rich, doctrinal, theological word. It's more than just, Plantinga goes on to say, more than just peace of mind or more than just a cessation to hostilities between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which, the natural, in which natural needs are satisfied, natural gifts fruitfully employed. It's a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as the Creator and Savior opens doors and speaks welcome to the creatures in whom He delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way of things are supposed to be. And so if we want to see why all these future events matter to us, they need to be seen in light of the context of a Christian view of the world. And a Christian view of the world starts with creation, the way it was designed to be. But a Christian view of the world also involves, secondly, the fall or sin. And things are now not the way they're supposed to be. But thanks be to God, the Christian view of the world involves a third thing. It involves creation. It involves the fall. But it involves this third thing. Redemption. Redeeming. God making right what has gone wrong because of the entrance of sin. If you want a full Christian perspective on everything, on the world, then you have to have those three components creation fall and redemption redemption assumes something that needs to be redeemed and see our culture says we don't need a redeemer and we don't need redemption because there's nothing to be redeemed from I mean this is as good as it gets Why is this as good as it gets? Because there's nothing better to compare it to. Because you've lost the foundation of the way it was designed to be. And so redemption, making it right, there's nothing to be redeemed from. Or if there was anything to be redeemed from, we believe in our culture there's no one to do the redeeming. And the Bible says both of those are false. There is indeed something to be redeemed from the absence of shalom, sin in God's good world. And there is, thanks be to God, one who has taken upon himself to be the Redeemer. Now let me try to apply this a bit personally for you and for me. Friends, if you disconnect the details and the particulars of your life from the big story, The Christian view of the world. You disconnect what's going on with you from that. And that's the the truest definition of being lost. Disconnected, unattached. I have no earthly idea how what's going on in my life could possibly fit into some larger scheme. And you will have no idea, no possible chance at an idea if you disconnect your life and your circumstances and the details of your life from the grand picture and wouldn't you agree that that's where most people are hey, there's my life and there's all the circumstances and there's all the unraveling and some of that unraveling i've committed to i've contributed to some of that has been foisted upon me just because of the shrapnel of the war of living in a fallen world. We all get hit by it. And so diagnoses, you know, they just come from living in a fallen world. But if I'm disconnected from the the big grand scheme of creation and fall and thankfully redemption, if I'm disconnected from that, I'll have no earthly idea, no, no possible chance at having any explanation as to what's going on in my life or how anyone could possibly take this horrible thing, this difficult thing, the details and the particulars of my life, and actually do something with that and make it beautiful. But the Christian view of the world says, no, God is making all things new. So we view the future in the light of the past, in the light of creation, in the light of the the fall. And we see our own lives, and I'm encouraging you to think about your own life right now and the junk that's going on in it. <laughs> and I don't know everybody here. I just know you've got junk, because I do too. And I've done junk, and I've had junk done to me. See, if you don't like the word sin, just go with junk. <laughs> okay? Just so make up your own. But it's messed up. Now, I've messed it up, and other people have messed it up. And I'm affected by it. But here's the most blessed, blessed thing for me. Is I know that I am not just a molecule in this vast universe. I know that what is happening in my life is in the sovereign plan of a loving God who created and who is redeeming, who is making right what is wrong in his world. If you were here at 9.30, our brother Larry spoke about, why do you get up in the morning? That's one reason I get up in the morning. Because I know that God is in this day. That God is at work in this day. God is at work even in the difficulties of this day, the extreme difficulties. And that's why the scriptures say, and many of you have it, you know, as your life verse, and you have it needle-pointed. But, you know, Romans 8.28 says, and we know, That in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I just quoted you the NIV version of that. The King James says, and we know that all things work together for good. But the NIV's got it right. Because, see, in the King James, when it says, and all things work together for good, the subject of the sentence is things, and things don't work, they don't work by themselves. The NIV says, and we know that God works all things. There is an active and loving creator involved in the events of his world, big and small, big and small, including the events of your life. So, Romans 8 goes on to say, so what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And of course the answer is nothing. Nothing in all, nothing in all creation. And it goes through the big and the small and the personal and the individual. You all remember me saying a few weeks ago, Jesus speaking in Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 30. And Jesus says that the very hairs of your head are numbered. They're all numbered. He knows the very hairs on your, (laughs) number of hairs on your head. But the context is verse 29, the verse just before that. How does he know that? Is God just a big computer he's just really smart he can store a lot of stuff so he's got every social security number you know you've got it you've got a line on his spreadsheet number of hairs column he's got that is he just really smart like that Mm. verse 29 of matthew 10 says no here's how he knows he doesn't know just because he's smart he knows because he's in control Jesus said in verse 29 of Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground except it be by the will of your Father, and the very hairs of your head are numbered. In other words, there's not a hair that comes out of your head apart from the sovereign oversight of our loving God. Now that's a Christian biblical worldview. And that's how all this stuff then that we talk about in the future fits into the other components, the past components of a biblical worldview, creation and fall, and then redemption. And God is engaged in redemption now. He is making things new now. And he will make all things new completely in the future. So now, let's put some of this stuff in perspective in a biblical worldview. Why is there judgment then from the standpoint of a biblical worldview? Because God is redeeming. Because God is making all things new. And if God is going to make all things new, there cannot be people and things there that don't want to be in shalom. Do you understand that? When God judges people as we read about in the battle of Armageddon and all that ugly stuff at the end, when he does that, he is removing people and things that do not desire to be there. And in order to recreate shalom, the way it's supposed to be, judgment must occur. And so as we look at the future, we look at it in light of what the Bible says about these past important events. And so I call you back then to page 65. If you're still awake, turn to page 65. Middle of page 65. From session one, we saw that prophecy, these predictions in the Bible, have four main goals. I'll just bounce through them quickly. Prophecy serves to confirm that what God has said is true. So you live, I live, we live at a point in time in history, 2011, in which many of God's predictions in the past have come to pass exactly as he has said they will. That ought to give you and give me great confidence in the truth of what God has promised. What he has already said would come to pass has as he said it would. Therefore, we can have great confidence that what is still future will come true as he said it would. Secondly, Prophecy serves to warn us about the dangers of living life in opposition to God. God is committed to shalom. And because he's committed to shalom, he is absolutely opposed to anything that would destroy it. And so if we live in opposition to God, that will mean us as well. Top of page 66. It serves to encourage us while we follow Christ in this life So we're going to see at the end of our notes in just a bit forgive the grammar, this ain't all there is and this is your best life is not now I made reference to that that's a book, everybody knows that best selling book, heretical book but still best selling your best life is not now your best life is, is later and then fourthly prophecy serves to motivate us to keep trusting God living in obedience to him in this life notice 2nd Corinthians 4 momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison notice those words friends momentary what you're going through now whatever it is as heavy as it is as difficult it is as it is and I don't even know the particulars but I can say this without Fear of contradiction. It is momentary. It's temporary. It's it's the moment. But it's not forever, thanks be to God. It's momentary and compared to. It feels like the weight of the world to you now, like you can't bear it. But you're here. You're sitting here right now. And God has you here by His divine appointment. You didn't know if you would make it last week, but here you are. It's momentary, and compared to the eternal weight of glory, it's light. He has seen you through. He will see you through. He promises. And so prophecy has those effects. Now, the next several pages are a, rev- a review of the events that we've looked at in lessons two through, 2 through 7. I'm not going to go through that. Our recordings are on the, at our website, so you're welcome to re-listen to those if you need to. But I invite you to turn to page 70, the last three pages. So how shall we live? First, recognize the end for which God created the world and all that is in it. The very last book in the Bible reminds us of the purpose for which God made his world. We have the verse for you there. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And then the following paragraphs say simply this. What were we made for? We were made for worship. We were made for God's glory, for God's honor. And so how should we live? We should live remembering that. God created the world for His honor and for His glory, and that's your purpose in this world, as is mine. Or to put it another way, God created this world for shalom. Because see, when, when created beings are in right relationship with the Creator, when all created beings are in right relationship with the Creator, then shalom exists. And so God created us for His glory, for His honor, to worship Him, shalom. Top of page 71. Recognize the damage that sin has done to your life and to this world. And so it's the anti-shalom. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And I encourage you, friends, as you now... I hope put on these, these lenses, put on these lenses in sharper focus. as this afternoon you listen to the newscast, you have discussions with your kids, or you have arguments with your spouse, you start to see these through the lenses now of what the Bible says. These are all manifestations, and we see them all the time, manifestations of fallenness, of sin. And recognize that damage, and realize, thirdly, that there is a judgment that is coming for the reasons that I gave. Restoration requires judgment. If God's going to restore, then God is going to have to judge. God is going to have to remove that which does not desire those who do not desire to be there. But what should you do? How should you live? How do you get involved in this reclamation project that God's involved in in His world, this redemption that's going on now and will be consummated in the future? How do you get involved in that? Number four, you turn to Christ for deliverance, that's the word for salvation, rescue from sin. When we end today as is our custom every week. We give you opportunity to do that. What's it mean? It means that God is relentlessly pursuing the restoration of Shalom. And he doesn't want to destroy anyone. He doesn't want it to be that there is any person who does not want to be there. You see, if everybody wanted to be there, there would be no judgment. If you want to be there, there will be no judgment for you. Because God wants you to be there to the extent that he took the judgment for you. God came as man and took the penalty that belongs to you and to me. And if you say, Lord, I want to be part of what you made this world to be. I want to be in proper relationship with you. And I want to begin to be in proper relationship with your world. And I look forward to this new world in the consummation at the end. And I want to be a part of that. And I know that my sin has contributed to things not being the way they're supposed to be. And I can't make it right myself. I turn to the Redeemer, the One who alone can make it right. And so you're rescued from your sin. Delivered from your sin. Saved because God the Son is has come to do what you could not do for yourself. We'll give you opportunity to do that when we close in just a bit. If you look at the last page. Three other things. You know you do that and you come to God through Jesus Christ and you recognize that he's the redeemer who is redeeming in the present and will redeem in the future. And in the meanwhile, you do what the top of page 72 says. Hold on to this world loosely. Why? Because it's passing away. When I do the series two weeks from today, beginning two weeks from today, in pursuit of happiness, there's so many things I want to say in that series. (laughs) I think it could go on for a year. There's so many things I want to say, but one of them I want us to understand, friends, as clearly as I can make it is that we must stop living for lesser things. We all pursue good but lesser things. And God is calling us to pursue the best thing, not really the best thing, the best one. And you you will only do that when you recognize that the junk you pursue, the stuff you pursue, the stuff I pursue, really ain't that important. You hold on to it loosely. You know, there's stuff I need. You need, you need food, you need shelter, you need clothing. So I need the stuff. i got to go to work to get the stuff. i got to make a living. But it's not about the stuff. And it's not about the partying. And I don't mean sinful partying. I just mean wasting time. We're pursuing lesser things. Hold on to the things of this world loosely because they are passing away. Sixthly, be holy in all areas of life. What does, that, what does that mean? Holy means different. It means set apart. It means separate. doesn't mean holier than thou. Does it doesn't mean a self-righteous attitude. It's not what the Bible means with it. What the Bible means is it's somebody who recognizes that they are strangers and aliens now in this world because this world is not my home. Why is this world not my home? Because it's not the way it was supposed to be. There is something within me and within you, if you belong to Jesus, that longs for a different place in a different order, for things to be made new. And you are in the world, says Jesus, John 17, but not of the world. And therefore you cannot help but be different in all areas of life. You have to go to work. People who don't follow Jesus have to go to work, but you do it for a profoundly different reason. It's different, separate, a holy reason. You raise kids, they raise kids. You're married, they're married. But for profoundly different reasons. They're rearing their kids to be successful, get to the best college, get the best job, rear their kids to get, go to the best college, get the best job, and on it goes, they think. And we're rearing our children to become what they were made to be followers of the Creator looking for a, a new city a different city a better country the writer of Hebrews says be holy in all areas of life and lastly be passionately concerned about the spiritual state of others why do we issue this urgent call all the time friends come to Jesus come to Christ in a, in a passionate sort of way almost begging you to do so. Why do we do that? We do that because it is our only hope for rescue, for deliverance, coming to Christ. And so I urge you to do that. Now, I don't know anybody's relationship with God. I know my wife's fairly well. I know mine. I certainly can't speak for everybody here. But in any group this size, there are certainly people who have never come to Jesus. And I'm passionately urging you, asking you to do that very thing. To be redeemed. So that he starts his reclamation project in you. And so that when he makes all things new at the consummation, you're part of that. And you're part of the world for which you were originally created. And you will exist in shalom. I'm looking forward to that. How do you do that? You come to Jesus. Jesus is God. He became man. He died to pay the penalty for your sin. He lived an absolutely perfect life. He lived the life you should have lived and I should have lived. He died the death that we deserved. But he gives his life and his death to you when you tell him, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. Save me. I want to follow you. And then Christian friend, thank God that he's involved in redeeming. Thank God that he's involved in redeeming you where you are now and that he'll make all things new in the future. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for this series where we've been able to be reminded of your control of your world because you have made known the end from the very beginning. You can do that because you control everything in between, and that includes the details, the minute details of our lives. Help us to remember that. Help me to remember that today and this week as we sojourn in a fallen world, and as we contribute, still struggling with sin to its fallenness. We thank you for the reminder that you're in control, and we thank you for the reminder that you're redeeming, that you're restoring, that you're reclaiming what has been lost because of sin. We thank you for the Redeemer the Lord Jesus the difference that he has made in the lives of those of us who have come to him received him as our Savior bowed before him as our Lord and delightful delight in following him and we see the difference that it makes in our own hearts in our own attitudes in our in our relationships in the way we view our circumstances it makes a profound difference every moment of every day so we see your redemption taking place in our own lives and the truth of your word that if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has gone and the new has come we look forward to your return we look forward to the time when all is right when all is at peace when all is the way it's supposed to be in the meantime grant us joy in the journey and help us to passionately invite men and women and boys and girls to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and participate in the redemption that the Redeemer is carrying on in his world. Go with us this week, grant us safety, and bring us back next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.